One of the things that I love about the scriptures is you get this like behind the scenes look into the life of Jesus. You know, we live in a world, we live in a culture where um, we hear all kinds of things about Jesus, who he is, what he's like, our neighbors, our professors, our friends, our parents, everyone has an opinion on who Jesus is. And what I love about the scriptures is it's just like this invitation for you and me just to see for ourselves what he's like. My wife and I got into the show a couple summers ago called Hard Knocks. Any of you guys seen that show on HBO? Yeah, there are four of us who are sinful. And so um, the rest of you just didn't claim it. Um, Luke, you look guilty, I saw it on your face. Um, and it's this show and the reason I like it, it's um, they pick an NFL team and they kind of, um, they get permission to do this, but they take you kind of behind the scenes, the things that no one else gets to see. And so they have cameramen in the locker room and they have cameramen that literally go into these guys' houses. And so you get to see their, their wives and their kids. They, they go in their cars and they go into the, the, coaches, um, the coaches' offices where they're like trying to figure out who they're gonna cut, who they're gonna keep. And it's just like, you can feel the intensity. And what I love is that you get to see what no one else sees. You know, so often, um, like, I, like, I like watching football. You'll turn on a game on Sunday and you only get to see just like one little glimpse into these guys' lives. And what I love about the show is that they like take you deeper. They let you see for yourselves what they're really like. And I think that's what's unfolding in Mark chapter eight, minus the locker room and coaches. It's just one of these moments where, where Jesus is inviting us to, to see for ourselves. And so this morning, as we're gonna read through this story, I just invite you to, to open your, your mind and your heart to just see for yourself what Christ is like. And so we come into this place and we have all these different opinions and all these thoughts from what people have told us Jesus is like. And I just wanna invite you as your friend, like to see for yourselves. Like as you're reading the story, notice things about Jesus, notice things about his heart, notice things what he does. Like we have come here for Jesus. And I just invite you to fix your eyes on him this morning. So let's start in Mark chapter eight, verse one. It says, during those days, another large crowd gathered. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. I want us to notice this morning the, the compassion of Jesus for these people. First thing that I want us just to kind of think about is his compassion for people. And as I was reading this story this week, I just kept thinking about like, that this is the nature of who God is. This is the nature of who God has always been. This is the nature of who God is always gonna be. That God has always been in the business of, of looking at his people and seeing their needs and responding with care. You know, I would encourage you guys, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, I would encourage you guys just to, to start the, the habit of just reading through the Bible once a year. Just every year, just kind of get in the habit of, of reading through the Bible from beginning to end. And one of the things that I started to notice as I started to read through the Bible is that like, this is a character of God from the very beginning. That like in every story, in every moment, in every book of the Bible, it's like you see this God who sees people in need and he responds with care. You see this in the book of Exodus, where God's people were, live, were living in slavery literally for 400 years. Could you imagine being in slavery for 400 years? It's like all your family's ever known, your grandparents and your great-grandparents and your great-great-grandparents. And it says that the people of God were crying out because of the intensity of the suffering. 
And in Exodus, the picture of God is that he hears his people and he cares. You see this in 1 Samuel chapter one. I love this story. There's this amazing woman of God named Hannah and she and her husband, they just couldn't have a baby. They tried and they tried and they tried and they tried and they could not conceive. She cries out to God. It's a moment of great need and God hears. God cares. You see this in Psalm chapter 51 where this man named David had just sinned and he was like feeling the weight, the shame, the guilt of his sin. I go, those of you guys who follow Jesus, we know what this feels like. To like take our eyes off of God, to stumble back into some kind of sin. We know what it's like to feel that, that shame. And in this moment of sitting under this, David falls on his knees and he cries out to the God that he loves so much. God, I'm, I'm sorry. And it's this picture of God hearing and God caring. And what I realized about Mark chapter eight is that this is not a one-time deal about who Jesus is. This, this is a picture of who he's always been, who he will always be. That he sees people in need and he cares for them. I want us to take this story in. I want it to let us to let this story just kind of wash over us this morning. Think about this. Jesus showed up and there were 4,000 people. So if you guys were at our birthday celebration back in November, there were around 32, 3,300. Think about how many more people were there in this story. 4,000 people. And I love this insight that, that Jesus gives us into his heart, into his life. It says that he doesn't, he doesn't want to send the people away hungry because he's afraid they're going to collapse on the way. And all week I just kept thinking about how different Jesus is than me. Just think about how many times I've passed someone literally just like on the streets here in Nashville and I'm not even cared if they're hungry. I want to just kind of let you into my life. I think so often like we come into a place like this and the person who's up front sharing, we just think that they have all their stuff together. They have everything figured out. And I just want to let you know that that, that is not the case at all. I want to let you know who I am, who I've been. So you know that this is a place truly for sinful people, not for people who have it all figured out, who have it all together. I remember my senior year of high school, uh, two of my buddies and I, we went up to St. Louis. Uh, we went up on a Saturday afternoon. We we're gonna spend the night there. We we're gonna get up the next morning and go watch the Rams play the Vikings, this football game. And I remember we got there late on Saturday and we were walking, parked our car, we were walking to get something to eat. And I remember we, and I'll never forget this, uh, we met this guy. And as we started talking to him, we realized that, that he lived on the streets and just really kind of down and out on his luck. And, and I remember talking to this guy and he just looked at us and he said, hey, I'm, I'm hungry. Can you guys, like, can you give me some money like, to get some food? And I literally just remember, like I had my, one hand in my right pocket where my wallet was. And I remember feeling the, the, like, the money in my hands. And I just looked at that guy right in his eyes and I just lied to him. I said, sorry, man, I can't help you. My buddy right next to me, this is an amazing man of God, his name's Bobby. I remember him pulling out his wallet and opening it up and he handed this guy a $20 bill. And we were walking off and I was just asking him, like, man, what's going on? What'd you do that for? And he said, the guy was hungry. I remember we went to the game and um, drove home the next day. I was laying in my bed on a Sunday night and he sends me this text and it just, all it said was 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. And so I opened up my Bible, 1 John 3, verse 17, and it says, um, if any of you has material possessions 
and you see a brother or a sister in need and you do nothing, how can you say the love of God is in your heart? And I remember just laying in my bed, just being convicted to the core of who I was. How many times I've just passed people, how many times I've called myself a follower of Jesus and yet my actions are nowhere like Jesus's. And I want us to, to invite us to see how different our King is. I want you to notice how different, how compassionate Jesus is. Literally the most important being in the entire universe, the most important person that has ever lived, that will ever live. And I think about how crazy it was that he knew his days on earth were limited. He knew that he had a limited amount of time to tell people and to show people about the kingdom of God. And I go, is this what we would expect him to do? Like if we were Jesus and this was us and his story, if you and I, if we had limited time on earth to reveal God to the entire world, would we notice hungry people? Would we even care? And I think Jesus is inviting us. Like, I don't know what like, you're thinking and processing right now. I don't think he's inviting us to feel condemnation and shame. I think he's wanting to do something beautiful. He reveals something beautiful about who God is. That caring for people in need isn't something separate from his mission, his kingdom that caring for people in need was a part of his mission. We get this picture of Jesus and his compassion. The second movement I want us to think about is the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. Look with me in verse four. Jesus' disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. And so Jesus told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. And he gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. And the people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. And about 4,000 were present that day. And what I think is so interesting is how quickly the disciples forgot about the power of Jesus. I think it's interesting how quickly they had forgotten about what they had just seen him do, what they had just experienced with Jesus. And so we talked about the story a couple weeks ago here at Ethos that just a, a couple days before this story happened, literally a very similar thing was unfolding that Jesus and his disciples were together and there was a huge crowd of about 5,000 people and they only had five loaves. They had this one kid sack lunch and Jesus took this one kid sack lunch and he fed the multitudes. He fed every single person there. In fact, there were leftovers. It was this miracle where Jesus kept multiplying this bread. And so literally there were five pieces of bread and, and he would break it. He would give a piece to Andrew and he kept breaking it and giving it to his disciples and it just kept being there. We can't explain it. We can't even understand this. This is the work of God, the miraculous work and power that Jesus Christ has. And yet I think about the disciples. Here they are again. Just a few days earlier, they had watched Jesus feed a hungry crowd with a few loaves. And the thing that I was thinking about in this story this week is, I wonder why they respond with questions instead of confidence. Like, I wonder why when, when Jesus looked at his boys, when he looked at the disciples and said, guys, I have compassion for these people. 
and we're going to feed them. And I don't want to send them home hungry. I don't want them to collapse on the way. I, I wonder why the disciples didn't look at Jesus with a fire on in their eyes and a smile on their face and go, all right, Jesus, we've, we've seen you do amazing things. We've seen you come through in harder situations like this. Like, I wonder why in the midst of this situation, they didn't respond with confidence. I wonder why they question, where could we possibly find enough food? And what I realized this week is that the reason they responded with questions instead of confidence is because they're humans. They're just like us. Think about this. Have you ever seen God come through for you in a very real way when you had a real need? Have you ever been on the receiving end of the compassion and the power of God when you had a very real need? Think about that question. Maybe you had no idea how you were gonna pay the bills one month as some unexpected cost came up and you gave it to God and, and he came through. Or maybe you were nervous or fearful about having a conversation with your boss or your spouse or your kid and you gave it to God and God came through. But think about this. What happens the next time you face a situation where there's a real need in your life? What happens the next time in our lives when these very real needs come to the surface? Do we look at God and say, God, I know you're going to come through. You always have. You always will. And I go, the re reality is that some of you do this. That you have, you've seen the goodness of God, you've seen the faithfulness of God, and so when needs, when, when things that you can't understand how you're gonna figure out, when those things come along, it doesn't shake you because of the things that God has done in your past. But for a lot of us, God walks with us time after time after time, and then when needs come up, we respond in fear. It's like we forget all the things that he's done. We forget his power, we forget, we forget his compassion. We're just like the disciples. We question. We see all the problems. We forget about the one who is with us, the very one who has called us on this journey in the very first place. Several years ago, someone who is very dear to me um, tried to commit suicide. It's about this time uh, of year, three years ago. And I remember getting to the hospital and talking to them and just weeping. And I remember we had conversations the rest of that weekend and the thing that they told me is that I think God just spared me. God spared me like, tried to take my life and God spared me. I remember there's this thing that kind of happens is I've continued to Kind of have this relationship that every, every summer around that one year mark, the two year mark, the three year mark, I find myself just being fearful, being scared that it's going to happen again, like, being afraid that this person that I love so much is, and it's like, I don't know the situation for you, but we're like, we're real people, right? Like. 
And the Bible has this way of speaking into our our real lives, into our real needs. And I don't know what it is for you, but it's like Jesus is inviting us to, to see something about who he is here. So I love what he says in verse five. He says, how many loaves do you have? They say seven. And Jesus looks at the crowd and you can just imagine him saying, hey, have a seat. Sit down. He takes the bread and he gives thanks and he breaks it. And he puts it in the hands of the disciples and literally in the Greek, it means to set before the people. It says that every single person there ate and was satisfied. You know, I was thinking about how this is a beautiful and miraculous sign of his power. And I was thinking about how Jesus still does this work today. Let's pull this into our context. Let's pull this into our world. Let's pull this into our places that this text meets us. Have you ever struggled with your own ineptness? Have you ever encountered a real need that you were not able to meet by yourself? You ever had one of these moments where your heart was just connected to somebody, you cared about somebody, but you yourself did not have it in you to meet the need in that person? Maybe you have a friend that's struggling with depression and you've prayed every prayer and you've done everything you know how to do and it feels like you have seven loaves and there are 4,000 people. You feel like there's no way that what you have can meet the need. I was talking to Cyrus and Nicole, two amazing people, part of our church. um, Did you mute me? Caleb, did you get tired of hearing me? Is that what it was? I don't blame you. met this kid in the neighborhood and six years old, terminal cancer. Do you have a friend or a parent, a kid that isn't a believer? You ever faced a moment in life where, where the need was, was more than you had? And I think that's what's happening in Mark chapter eight, where Jesus is helping the disciples see the limit in what they have. He's like bringing them to the end of themselves. They cannot take care of the crowd's hunger problem by themselves. And I think this is what Jesus is wanting us to understand that so often you and I, we do not have what it takes. We do not have what it takes to meet the needs around us. But what I think he's inviting us to see in Mark chapter eight is that he's not asking us to have it all. He's asking us to give what we do have and to put it in his hands. You know, I don't think this story is trying to give us a formula for the way that things work with God and with people. So I don't think he's saying, as you see a need, A, and as you give all that you have and put it in God's hand, B, it's always going to turn out the way that you want it to see. Like, I don't think he's giving us a formula here. I think he's wanting us to understand that he desires for us to participate in his kingdom. That he desires for us to be people that actually trust in his very real power. Ephesians three, 
Paul writes to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And I'm, I, I would bet that the majority of us who are followers of Jesus, we don't believe in his real power. I bet there's a lot of times where this, this verse, Ephesians 3, exposes what's really in our heart, that we really don't believe that Jesus has the ability to meet the needs around us that we're not able to ourselves. You know, when the compassion of God leads us to people in need or to situations of great need, he's inviting us to be people that simply participate and that trust in his power. And I don't know what this means for you. I don't know what this is gonna look like for you in the future, but I know there's gonna become a time in a week or maybe it's tomorrow or maybe it's in a month from now or maybe it's in a year from now where God is gonna bring you to the end of yourself and there's gonna be a need and you realize I don't have the ability to fix it myself. What will your posture be? Will you remember Mark chapter eight? Remember that when all the disciples had was seven loaves and all they did was put it in his hands. That's when the real power is displayed. I go, when you find needs that are bigger than yourself, will you be a person that participates and that trusts in his power? Mark chapter eight, we see the compassion of Jesus. We see the power of Jesus and we see that Jesus alone satisfies. I love that small, just little tidbit in verse eight. It says the people ate and they were satisfied. I love that it says that the people left satisfied, that they left full. And I go, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, this is, this is who he is. This is what he does, isn't it? It's just like a great way of describing the work of Jesus in our lives, that he just satisfies us. I'm here to tell you that, that there's something about Jesus that satisfies us in this life like nothing else, like no one else can. God's given us all these amazing things to enjoy, friends and, and jobs and spouses and children. It's given some income. It's given health, a sound mind. He's blessed us with all of these things. And the thing that I kept thinking about in Mark chapter eight is that nothing in this life satisfies us like Jesus. That nothing and no one satisfies us in this life like Jesus. No boyfriend, no girlfriend, no best friend, no food, no amount of money. Jesus satisfies us. And it doesn't mean that your life is gonna get better. It doesn't mean that hard things aren't gonna come your way. There's not a health and wealth kind of proclamation here. It, the reality is that, that hard things will come for your way. But the truth is that when Jesus Christ is in your life, that he has this way of satisfying you even in the storms of life. That his peace and joy and his presence doesn't flee when hard things come because that's the satisfying work of Jesus in our lives right here and now. Jesus satisfies us in this life. And I think the thing that he's wanting us to see is that he's come to satisfy us not just in this life, but in the eternal life. You know, we can't talk about Jesus. We can't talk about a story in scripture without thinking about the cross and the resurrection. That everything that Jesus did in just a few days, he's gonna tell his disciples, I'm going to the cross. 
And on, as people on this side of the cross, on this side of the empty tomb, we have to filter everything we hear and think and see about Jesus through that lens of what he did for us on the cross and in the empty tomb. And I go, do you understand that Jesus, he humbled himself. He left the glory of heaven where he was worshiped night and day, nonstop. I go, that's the p- position that, that the, only the king enjoys. He stepped out of the place where, where he was sitting on the throne And he stepped into this world where he suffered, where he was misunderstood, where he allowed his body to be battered and beaten. And Jesus was broken. He was hated, he was humiliated, he was hung high above the earth. And on a cross, he breathed his last breath and died. But, but three days later, he rose. Three days later, Jesus conquered death, never again to die. You see, Jesus, he he took our sin into his grave and he buried it there forever. And he came out triumphant over sin and death. And Jesus has come to satisfy the deepest places in our hearts. Places in our hearts that long to live with God forever. Jesus has come so that when death comes our way, it's not a period on the end of our lives, but only a comma. You see, many of you don't believe this. Many of us don't believe this, but Christ actually loves us. He actually loves us. He doesn't tolerate us. He loves us. And we know that because he died for us. And he did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He lived a life that was perfectly pleasing towards God. And Christ did that. And he offers us his life. He offers us his right standing before God and he takes our sin and rebellion. You see, this story isn't just about Jesus, the nice humanitarian. This is about Jesus who meets the the deepest longings of our hearts. Who satisfies the deepest needs in our lives. Jesus is compassionate and he is powerful and he is satisfying. And he doesn't just want us to hear these truths about him, but he wants us as his people to experience them from him. You know, some of you here today, you have never experienced, at least that you know of or can think about, the compassion and the power and the satisfying work of Jesus in your life. Maybe you've heard about Jesus Maybe you've been curious about Jesus, but you've never experienced Jesus Christ who is actually alive. And what I noticed about the crowds, what I love about the crowds is they just, they put themselves in the presence of Jesus. And there was a persistence in them. It says that they stayed with Jesus for three days. Could you imagine? Three days? 
Have you done anything for three days solid? These people were persistent. They, they wanted Jesus. They wanted to see him. They wanted to know him. They wanted to hear from him. And because they persisted, they encountered firsthand his compassion, his power, his satisfying work. And I'm going, I wonder what happened. What would have happened if the people would have left after day two? They would not have experienced this in Jesus. I go, for some of you here today, maybe the word for you, like, Every time we come to the word of God, he has something for us. And maybe for some of you, it's, it's just a reminder to keep putting yourself in places where you know God is. Maybe you've never encountered him. Maybe he's just a figment of your imagination. Maybe he's just some great historical figure. And I just want to invite you to keep persisting. That if you really want to see Jesus, if you really want to know his heart, if you really want to know if he cares for you, if you really want to know if he's compassionate, if he cares about you, keep persisting. Keep coming here. This isn't the only place, but I mean, this is a place. Keep praying. Keep asking God to help you believe. Keep asking God to soften your heart, to remove the doubt. Keep putting yourself in circles of people who know and love and serve God. For some of you, maybe you look at your life and maybe you've, you're more like a crowd person than you are a disciple. Maybe you've experienced the compassion and the power and the satisfying life of Jesus. Maybe you've encountered him. But you look at your life and you go, man, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm not a disciple of Jesus. I show up on Sundays and I receive from him and I go, the, the invitation maybe for you this morning is to step all the way in. To go from being a person in the crowd to being one of the people in the innermost circle with Jesus. For some of it, maybe you are his disciple. And as his disciples, man, we, we come and, and we don't just admire Jesus for his compassion and his power and his satisfying work. The, the real joy comes from letting those things pass through our hands. Right? Like we don't just come here on Sundays, stand on the sidelines and cheer for Jesus. We come here on Sundays to be reminded that this world, that our city is full of people who have yet to experience Jesus. And you realize that he has given us the joy. He has given us the mandate to be the ones that set before them our savior. That he has given us the responsibility to be the ones that to go into our worlds, to go into our workplaces, to go into our neighborhoods, to go into our homes. And to let his compassion and his power and his work flow through our lives. So that people all around us can see just how real and good he is. 
Jared and Beck are gonna come back up and lead us in a few more songs. And we're gonna take communion. I just wanna invite you, if, if you wanna talk or pray or if you wanna take a step closer into this life with God, Cyrus and Nicole and Isaac and Andrew, there are gonna be some people at the Respond Banner to your right. And if you just need somebody to pray for you, someone to talk to you, they'll be back there to help you. And for the rest of us, as we go and we take communion, as we break the bread and drink the cup, I invite you to, to take communion with the people that you came with and to ask this question, where is Jesus inviting me to participate? Where's Jesus inviting me to participate? And may Jesus do something powerful in us this morning. Let's pray.